happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Had a full week of Chiefs draft content as well as some breaking Chiefs news as it seems like Chiefs have worked out a deal for offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy to return to the team. We're going to start things off with the Arrowhead Pride draft room. They discuss some Chiefs finances as well as some cap casualties. Then we'll head right in to our free agent edition of the Out of Structure podcast with Ron Kopp and Matt Stagner. After that, we're going to take a quick time out, and then when we get back, you'll hear from the Arrowhead Pride editors as the franchise tag window opened this week across the NFL. Then we'll finish things up. It's draft talk. We've got a full seven-round mock draft from Ron Kopp and Christian Gumminger, and they also discuss the news this week that Eric Bieniemy is returning to the Chiefs as offensive coordinator that's all coming up on today's arrowhead pride best of the week dude oh my gosh jared that's so funny you say that because i was i've been saying lately like usually i'm a huge ku guy you know talon's got his ku stuff right behind him usually i'm so into ku by this time you know january february once conference play starts getting really you know exciting and yeah i'm with you man i can't i just can't get into it uh i have i have no i i have no desire to watch a ku game it kind of sucks but uh that's just what the NFL is now, man. It's a beast. And yeah, you mentioned it, Jared. You've been doing great stuff. Uh, you wrote, you know, a great article on Tyreek Hill a few weeks ago on you know possible contract extension. We'll get on that kind of stuff. But you know, you're just great on the numbers, great on the cap stuff. And so yeah, if, if anyone's curious about you know Jared's stuff, go and check out the website after you listen to this podcast, obviously. But yeah, no, we're excited. Um, we're excited to got you get you on a couple weeks before free agency. Actually, two or three weeks. I keep saying a couple, but. We still got some time. We're recording this on February. What? Today is the 20th. Uh, March 14th is when free agency opens up. So we still got some time. But, you know, there's a lot to talk about free agency wise. Um, and the Chiefs right now, uh, John Dixon at ArrowheadPride.com does a great job uh, keeping track of our cap space, uh, you know, on the site. And right now he has it at $2.5 million they have available in cap to spend this offseason, which doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> Sounds like actually uh, very little. Um, and so, you know, this is the thing with the, the sal- salary cap. It's never as, as real as that. It's never as, as easy as just seeing that number and that's how much they have. Jared, that's how I want, where I want to start out today. And I'm going to let you lead us on this discussion a little bit. Uh, but Talon and Brian, make sure you chime in when you do have any any notes or anything. But I want I want to see I want your opinion, Brian or Jared, um, on just where you think the Chiefs could open up some cap space and how much they can. And, you know, because we know the Chiefs want to be active in offseason. They're not going to be a team that sits around on their hands, Um, but they're going to have to make some moves. So any specific moves stand out to you uh, to to kick off this podcast that uh, you think could be a way for them to free up some cap space so they can be uh, movers this offseason? Well, the big thing that you can take to the bank, they're going to use Mahomes as a bank again. He has his contract is highly tied to, um, I believe, a. He has a roster bonus of 27, a little over $27 million that it's already vested. He's already earned it. He earned it by being on the roster at the start of the league year in 2021. And he has a giant roster bonus for next year. It vests the moment he's on the roster when this league, coming league year starts. They kind of intended to do when they made his contract, these roster bonuses, they can, without even talking to him, they say, well, now it's a signing bonus. The cap charge gets spread out over the next five years. So 
yet they're going to pay him $27 million here coming up, but only 20% of that's going to count against the cap. And that's instantly going to open up at about $21 million. Is there any, is there any other, uh, you know, kind of contract restructures that stand out to you kind of like that? I know the Mahomes one is automatic, like you just mentioned, but I know. And, and like I said, you mentioned earlier, you, you wrote a Tyreek Hill um, uh, potential extension too earlier this earlier this month. Tyreek Hill and Chris Jones, they both have roster bonuses coming up at the start of the league year. I believe Travis Kelsey does as well. I don't think there's as much money to clear by restructuring Travis Kelsey as there was last year. Chris Jones, you could restructure him, but he's only under contract this year, next year. So restructuring him again, it's going to really balloon his cap number for 2023 to about $35 million now. I mean, maybe they would pay that. Maybe they wouldn't because it's really just a matter of moving money from this year to next year. But I kind of think they're going to leave Chris Jones alone like they left Frank alone before, although it doesn't really change the money they owe Jones very much. It just kind of moves a lot of it from this year to next year. Tyree kills the interesting one because he's in the last year of his contract. Yeah. So there's nothing really to restructure unless they can get him to agree to a new deal. I kind of think that's got to be on their priority to get him yeah. to sign a new deal because I mean, he's set to count about $20 million over the cap. If you can take this giant roster bonus, he's about to get all of his roster bonus money. I think he gets about $12 million at the start of the league year. I think he gets um, like another $2 million when he reports to camp. Okay. They can take all of that and turn it into a signing bonus as part of a new contract. I mean, you mm-hmm. can probably open up over $10 million that way. Yeah. So, you know, that's the beauty of, of how I feel like Veach is, is kind of, you know, developed this core of players. You know, those are all very essential players and they're all going to be willing to, you know, kind of work with the team to do that kind of stuff. Uh, Tyreek, yeah, they've had him on a on way too cheap of a deal for, for a little bit. Uh, you know, Chiefs got lucky there. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll be able to uh, demand quite a bit, you know, yeah, but- with a potential new deal. But you also have to think Tyreek probably watched the Super Bowl and saw what happened to Odell Beckham, and maybe he's a little more motivated to just get something done now. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, Tyreek's a guy you definitely don't want to – you know, I don't think there's any debate. You know, there's some stars like that you you kind of, you know, debate on, you know, when to cut bait, and and, and there's no way – I don't think anyone is, is arguing the other side of, you know, whether or not to sign Tyreek long-term or not. But – you know, you talked about guys already existing on the team that are that are just kind of moving money around. Let's talk about some guys that are on the team now that could not be on the team in 2022. Obviously, I, I should say they're on the 2022 roster, but they could be cut to make space, make some room, some cap casualties. And this is where I'm going to bring you guys in, town and Brian, um, get your opinion first on. You know, there's two major ones I think, and and there are some other ones, Jared. Maybe you'll touch on a few others, maybe. Um, but there's two cap casualties that could really, you know, save or yeah, save significant cap space. And we all know them by now. Frank Clark and Anthony Hitchens. Frank Clark cutting him straight up saves about 13 million against the cap. And Hitch is about 8 million. A- Anthony Hitchens, 8 million. Talon, I'll start with you. First of all, between which one of these two, you know, I guess this is where we'll start off. I, I want to hear your opinion on which one of these two. Do you think it's more likely to happen or which one of these two do you, are you more in favor of happening? Maybe if there could only be one or the other. That's a really tough question, man. Um, Cause when you look at Frank Clark, I know that a lot of people would say him just because of, you, you feel like his production has not equaled the number that we've been paying him. 
um, especially moving forward. You're just not sure how how much he's going to give you. And then Anthony Hitchens, you know, you got to look at the future there. You got to because he, in my opinion, had probably the best season he's had as a chief just this past year. Um, I, you know, he played lights out, but you got Willie Gay, you got Nick Bolton. Those guys are, are ready to take on a much bigger role. And when you're paying a guy the money you're paying Hitchens, you can't you can't justify that when he's not on the field every single down. So I think when you look at that one, yeah, Anthony Hitchens is a more most likely and B probably the one I would go to if you only could pick could pick one. Brian, what are your thoughts on those two? <laughs> and I mean, you know, do you just go ahead and do both, or or is there is there a reason one of them really needs to be on the roster compared to maybe the other one? It's probably both. I, I'm definitely on board with the Hitchens thing because the answers are in house. You you already have his replacement or replacements in some ways, so there's really no benefit to keeping him or renegotiating. I don't think it's only gonna kind of put a cap on what Nick Bolton could be, and I think we all expect that you know he he's a potential cornerstone player uh, in the long-term picture for the defense on the case of Clark. I'm kind of with Talon that there is a scenario where, okay, the best use of their cap space is just to try to get his number down. And, and because if you cut him um, and he's counting 12 million against your cap to not be on the roster, just 12 million of, of useless money, um, you know, it, it's probably better if we can get him back somewhere in that 15, 14, 16, even that's probably worth more than just getting rid of him altogether. So I think you got to have that conversation and see just how bad he does want to stick around. Um, but other, he definitely isn't coming back at, at the current cap number. There's no doubt. Well, the other part of that too, is, is it's not like you can just feel good about cutting him real quick and then just saying, Hey, we can get a replacement right away. Right. Uh, you know, there are some good names, some big names on the market in terms of edge rushers, you know, guys like Von Miller, Chandler Jones, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, even a guy like Kalias Campbell is more of a defensive tackle now, but still a big name. Um, you know, Emmanuel Ogba, me made him a low-key name. Melvin Ingram, obviously, out there. But the thing is, you know, all those guys are pretty old that I just mentioned. And, you know, you're not going to want to maybe give give any of those guys a, a big deal anyway. You know, and and who knows if they even are going to, you know, if you're guaranteed to get one of those guys. So, you know, I think you guys are right. There might be an opportunity for Frank to to kind of, you know, by default, you know, still be in Kansas City. Obviously, he wants to be here. He's, he's expressed that. Jared, what are your thoughts? Are these two pretty automatic for you? Or is there something to, you know, either of those players that you, you'd really want to see them try to make something work where they are on the 22-2 roster? I think they're ultimately both going to be cut just – I mean, that's $20 million between them. That's over $20 million more that you can open. Yeah. I think they're probably going to do the professional thing and probably cut Anthony Hitchens before the combine. So his agent, because um, I'm sure his agent has people who will be working out at the combine. I think that they'll do the right thing and give him time ahead of unrestricted free agency to find the best place to continue his career. I think they're probably going to cut Frank Clark in the end, but it won't be surprising to me if they wait into free agency to make sure that they secure a replacement for him. And also, you know, the news of the Sammy Watkins pay cut a couple years ago, that came a couple weeks into free agency, kind of after a lot of the big money had dried up. If he's going to take a pay cut, I think it would probably be a similar situation where they kind of string him along for a couple weeks. I, I, 
I also think that Frank's kind of tied to Tyron, like, because if you're moving on from Tyron, then you almost just want to, you know, start from scratch and make the defense either, either build it on the leadership of your young guys who are already there or bring in some new faces um, and, and free agency. If Tyron comes back, it's a little bit easier to swallow that pill of keeping Clark at whatever that price tag is going to be on a, on a pay cut because, okay, we kept, we kept Matthew. The leadership really doesn't need to change that much. Just, just a thought. Well, the only thing with that I'd say though, is that if you're bringing back Matthew, you bring him back at a certain number, right? And then you have to add that on to the Clark deal. Um, that's where it could, but I, I do know what you're saying because I do think we saw that after 2018, the complete, it was a leadership rehaul, right? I mean, there was a lot of just overall players rehauled, but you know, there were more players kept that just weren't necessarily the leaders of the defense. It was the leadership that was re, that was overhauled, I should say, on that defensive unit after the 2018 season. But I want to get to another way the Chiefs could maybe get some cap space moved around. You know, one of their unrestricted free agents this year is left tackle Orlando Brown Jr. Obviously, the Chiefs traded for him last offseason, you know, using a first-round pick. So, you know, you're kind of backed into a, a place where the Chiefs were you know, the player and the agent know, hey, I, you traded a lot for me. You know, we kind of have leverage in terms of we th don't think you're going to let us walk in free agency. Um, they want to maybe try to get a long-term deal done. Obviously, he's a franchise tag candidate. Jared, I'm curious your thoughts or, you know, what you know about the situation in terms of is there – what is the benefit of, hey, maybe just getting a long-term deal done right now without even maybe messing around? With, obviously, he's probably going to get tagged no matter what, you know, and then they'll negotiate the long-term deal. But is there, is there benefit to them just getting it done maybe right away so they have cap space quicker? Or what are, what are just your thoughts on, you know, how they can handle that? Or KC's OBJ is not going anywhere. I think we all agree on that. Yes. He um, Brett Veach has made that very clear, I feel yes. like. I mean – the, I mean, the thing with the franchise tag, you know, you're going to snap a finger with Patrick Mahomes and open up $21 million worth of cap space. The moment you put that franchise tag on Orlando Brown, he's going to count. I believe for offensive linemen, the cap's projected at 16.5 million. The tag's projected to be $16.5 million for offensive linemen. So automatically, you know, close to 80% of the money you just opened is already spent. Um, now, if you look at SpotRack and you look at his market value, they're projecting his market value is $23 million a year. So might just be justified in putting the tag on him and say, you know, we got a left tackle for two years and paid him less than $20 million over two years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they should probably think about, right? Because you're right. As soon as they, as soon as they kind of, you know, wade into those waters of a long-term deal. I mean, that's the thing. Though. I'm sure they can maybe backload some money. Yes. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, it's still going to be a hefty contract. And as I mentioned at the top, you know, with them having that leverage, right? I mean, you they don't they know the Chiefs are not going to want to trade an asset like they did and just you know let them walk because that number's too high. So they kind of have some some you know, some leverage in that situation and negotiating. I've seen some talk and some panic out of some Chiefs fans and Chiefs uh, uh, blogs and others where they're looking at this roster and they're saying, man, with all of these pending free agents, there is a massive issue that there's so many holes on this roster that there's no way they can fill them all in one off season. And all of a sudden they're in trouble. Where do you think the roster is overall, Ron? 
given what we just decided, let's just say, you know, we just talked about a bunch of guys. They're not going to bring back a handful of guys that they probably will. Um, How do you feel about the chiefs roster overall? So I think they've set them up to be kind of what the modern NFL should be in terms of roster building, in my opinion, at least, which is, you're going to build around your offense, obviously. It's an offensive league. You are you need to be good on offense. You, you don't see a lot of teams winning Super Bowls that aren't good on offense. They can get close, but but yeah, so they set themselves up to have the quarterback, obviously. They have weapons around him, even if they're getting a little older, and you need to keep supplying those weapons. But my main thing is that the core of this team is offense. They are an offensive juggernaut. So on the other side of the ball, I think it's fair, and I think there we, we might be setting up to do this where – you, you know, rotate around or rehaul the, the defense more than maybe, you know, it might feel comfortable doing. Maybe it doesn't feel good letting go of the veteran leadership like Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and, and other guys, you know, Anthony Hitchens. Maybe it feels kind of uneasy, right? But defense is so volatile anyway, guys. I mean, look at the 2021 season. The Chiefs defense at one point looked like literally the worst the NFL has ever seen. And then at one point was one of the best. So, it, it it does kind of just show you, in, in, in my opinion, that defense is very volatile. It's not necessarily up to how good they're doing. It, it's honestly more on how well of offenses they're playing, right? If you play re- really good offenses all year, you're going to have a worse season than if you get an easier schedule. Maybe you just get lucky with injuries at a quarterback, that kind of thing. So I'm down with I, – I think they've set themselves up to, and, and I agree with them too, rehaul the defense over and over as, as much as you can. Obviously, I'm not saying every year, but we saw this two- or three-year window work with this defense. It might be time to rehaul it. But keep that offensive core. Keep that offense stable, even if the defense – we might be seeing a, a more transition period than we want to see this offseason. A lot of maybe more younger players, not as many you know high-profile guys. But as long as the offense is intact, I'm fine with maybe the defense being a little more recycled. Stags. Yeah, maybe it is a three-year cycle on defense – the other thing about defenses, and, and I feel this way more than I, I feel it about offenses, but defenses get old quick. Yeah. And and you get exposed when you're when you're when some of your key defensive players are old. And not that the Chiefs have the oldest defense in the league, but the guys that they're considering moving on from, you know, they're most of them are on the wrong side of 30 or or around there, right? Yeah. So it is you build around youth and speed and athleticism on defense. Uh, and and your offense, you know, is a is a different animal. And so, yeah, I'll I'll go with you on that. I, I think they can they can think about this defense as, you know, they had their three year run. This is the way it was composed that that helped them get this thing, you know, get this Chiefs team to the next level. And now they need fresh voices in there, fresh leadership, fresh legs, and and it's time to to revamp the defense. And I think that's fair because if I, when I look at the depth chart going forward the holes in it are on defense the the offensive depth chart is pretty well exactly well uh, established at least from a starting perspective they can cycle their depth a little bit but there's there's some big questions on defense if they let some of these guys walk that we think are going to walk yeah exactly and and i think you know one thing with the defensive side of the ball too is is that they're it's not just the top end guys that they need to replenish, right? There's, there's certain depth pieces or certain rotational pieces, you know, Spags always likes to use the third safety a lot, which a lot of teams don't use a third safety as much. Uh, You know, he he likes to have different kinds of linebackers, you know, not just use his two starting linebackers all the time. You know, he, he's used, he uses up to four because Neiman is separate from the base packages. So I I know you want to talk about it, but depth is just as important, right? Oh man. I'm, 
I'm boiling on this point, and I know I, I said it earlier when we talked about what free agents I'd like to see uh, them walk, but in a lot of ways, the depth on this team is just not working anymore. And I say that really specifically because when you look at the the Chiefs team when they won the Super Bowl, when they, when they were uh, this high-flying offense and, and they had an opportunistic defense, some of these role players – we're making big plays in key moments. You had Dan Sorensen making the stop against Houston and making interceptions to close out games. You had Ben Neiman getting to the passer, you know, on, on a blitz package or, or making a key pass breakup. You had some of these players who you otherwise weren't crazy about, but they're role players. They had a role. And when it was there, when their number was called, they stepped up and, and made plays and, and made a difference when it mattered. And I feel like, They've gotten to the point this year where that's just not happening anymore or it's not happening on a consistent enough basis. So what I would really want to see them do is upgrade the depth of this team. They can make a splash or two, but what I'd really like to see is them take all of those players that are you know the second half of the roster that have gotten very few – I'm sorry, they've gotten a lot of snaps but have made very few plays over the last couple of years – I'd like to see them try to upgrade at all of those roles this offseason. And then all of a sudden, if you start getting contributions from down the roster, then, then you've got something because you still have the core of stars that you're building around. So it's really that the depth, to me, hasn't worked as well as you need it to recently. And again, free agency is a great time to fill in some of those very specific roles with guys that you probably haven't heard of that aren't going to command, you know, eight-figure contracts, but you can get somebody in at a reasonable price, maybe a veteran minimum, maybe more, but at a reasonable cost that can fill that role and inject some new life into the depth of this team because, again, it's, it's, it's just not working the way that it should. Yeah, we highlight the defense kind of when we talk about that depth. Uh, but, you know, it also is true of the receivers. I think we've kind of said, hey, Mahomes is Mahomes. He's so good. He should elevate the level of these receivers. And guys like Byron Pringle are kind of examples of that happening, maybe. Um, but at the same time, we've seen the receivers, the depth of the receivers cost this team at times, not being able to get open by themselves, not being talented enough, like a guy like Sammy Watkins was at times. So, yeah, I, I think receivers, uh, you know, it, it's part of the conversation, too. Receiver might be one where – they still need they, – they've been trying to win with depth and they and they haven't had enough starters, right? So yeah. I think McCole Hardman has become a very valuable role player and I think he's evolved into that role and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does next year. But he's not a frontline starter. And Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, those guys haven't been those starters. So they, to me they've had depth at wide receiver but not starters and, and that's, that's come back to bite them. So that's one position I'd like to see them add a starter – uh, but uh, other positions I'd really like to see them focus on on the depth. Yeah, so that's a good transition point to maybe where we want to talk about which positions maybe the Chiefs will take a big swing on, which ones make sense in free agency that we might see a huge name of really, you know, where we all get excited. We're, dra- we're breaking down an emergency draft pod or emergency podcast about it. And so let's start at the receiver position, actually, because it is a loaded group. It is a group that we see a lot of big names that obviously some impacted by injury, which really sucks. but. Um, you know, I'm gonna go first real quick, then I'll throw it to you. But, you know, I, I don't, this guy may not be the guy in terms of, you know, anybody in the class, if I just had to choose a name I'd like, but I do think for what he will sign for, 
and what his what his role is with the Chiefs potentially. I think this the signing actually make might make the most sense, and that's Juju Smith Schuster, the former Steelers receiver. Um, I you know he's he's very young, still 25 or 26 years old. Obviously, the former second round pick. He's made a lot of plays in the NFL so far in his career. Benefited from having a B on his team at first. You know that that op- that wide open offense in Pittsburgh. Obviously, they, they've had Big Ben the last few years, and that's obviously you know halted their pass offense to an extent. But my thing with Juju is last year he Chiefs obviously pursued him, but last year he signed for a pretty cheap deal, about two year deal, uh, not you know not that much money, and then he got hurt this year and didn't really play that much. It was a shoulder injury. Uh, you know, played the first four or five games and ended the season playing too. So he's healthy again. So he's, it's not an injury existing now. So I just don't see, especially with among other top receivers, I don't see him signing for much. And that makes me think it, it it's the best of both worlds. You get a player that I really think could be the starting wide receiver too, much better than what they've had since Sammy Watkins, much, much better in my opinion, be a playmaker and you don't have to spend top, top money, but at the same time, Hey, he, he could also be on the market because of that. Um, any juju take stags, and then I also I know you got other guys, other guys you're thinking about in this class. Yeah, I, I think you're right that we should start with wide receiver when we talk about positions that this team is gonna throw some money at and throw some resources at. Last year, Brett Veach tried to get every good wide receiver that hit the market, struck out on most of them. Uh, but Juju, Odell Beckham, like there's a lot of guys that that the Chiefs had their sights on last year that they'll have another shot at this year. And if there's one thing that Brett Veach tends to do, it does seem like when he gets his eyes set on somebody, right? Even if it's a couple of years down the road, he's still going to be looking at that same player. Uh, it, you know, if if circumstances haven't changed around him, so I fully expect them to pursue Juju Smith-Schuster. There was that report out there that he was interested in coming to Kansas City. Yeah, whether yeah. that's true or not, who knows? But that is probably, I'd say you're right. That may be the marriage that makes the most sense from wide receiver. I think wide receivers probably number one or number two in positions that they're going to throw assets at. Yeah. I would love to see – I'd be fine with Juju. I would love to see Allen Robinson in Kansas City. I think he's one of those – he's a well-rounded player that can put up some big plays for you. And I think the thing – the only thing I I would hesitate on with Juju Smith-Schuster is the fact that he seems to be a possession receiver at this point in his career. Uh, He's a chain mover, but – is he a get is he get down the field, you know, big play guy when you need one? I'm not sure about that. Robinson is the complete package when he's healthy and engaged in the offense and has a decent quarterback throwing him the ball the ball. And I think all of those things can come together in Kansas City and make Robinson a, a thousand yard receiver along with, with Hill and Kelsey. Um that I don't know that I could say the same thing about Juju. Yeah, Robinson, you, you're paying more because he's worth more, right? You know, Juju's not going to get paid what Robinson is. You know, the Athletic had a good article, kind of recapping stuff and and kind of you know saying maybe where guys like Al Robinson could go money wise, and you know, it, it's going to cost closer to twenty million, right? A guy like Kenny Galladay um, last year, who was a little younger, obviously, but a similar type of player, landed eighteen million per year. So, you know, if, if Juju, I think, is going to be closer to ten, if not maybe even a little less than that, potentially. While Robinson's closer to 20, which, you know, at the same time, you pay for that. Because I do think, like you said, Robinson's the all-around guy. Robinson's going to be anything you ask him to do, he's going to be able to do. And we are, But we already agreed that this Chiefs team can get money, make money available if they want it. Oh, yeah. If they want to pay $20 million a year for a receiver, they can do that. Absolutely. I'm not sure if they will yeah. or not. But 
if yeah. they decide he's the guy, they can get in a bidding. They can get into bidding wars just as well as anybody else can. And you know that they they've done it before. I mean, they paid Sammy Watkins more than anybody else was going to pay Sammy Watkins when he first came to Kansas City. Yeah, exactly. And Robinson's a one top tier guy in this class. That's not freaking dealing with injury because uh, guys yeah. like Michael Gallup is is exciting, but he's dealing with a torn ACL from week 18. DJ Chark actually is is a guy that's healthy. And I mean, he broke his ankle this this in week four, I think <laughs> I want to say. So yeah. I guess not super healthy, but healthier. Yeah. Um, you know, because Chris Godwin, also another guy that's got hurt. But yeah, any takes I, on DJ Chark? I love the ability of all of those guys, Gallup, Chark, uh, and, and uh, Godwin. Uh, I think any one of those guys could be a number one receiver. They have that ability. Uh, but the injury concerns, as we mentioned earlier, that's why these guys are on the market. And yeah. I'm just not sure that you can rely on them. And, you know, again, I don't know what the depth chart after them would look like if the, if the Chiefs brought them in. But we saw what happened when the Chiefs had Sammy Watkins and then Sammy was out. The, they really struggled to replace him. And so if they get a new Sammy in one of these other guys – I think I'd like to see him have somebody who's going to be on the field. And so uh, yeah. I, I'd spend the money for Robinson if that's going to be an option. Uh, if not, uh, then yeah, Juju is a pretty, pretty decent fit. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Our first story, um, is Orlando Brown secretly a high priority to extend simply because it allows the Chiefs to use the franchise tag maybe on Matthew this year and Tyreek in 2023 and avoid having to do the same thing with him next year? So we actually are recording this on Tuesday. I do want to mention that we're going to release it on Wednesday. So you're hearing this on Wednesday morning. We're talking about the franchise tag window opening up on Tuesday. John, you covered this for us this morning on Arrowhead Pride. So what does that exactly mean for those listeners who aren't familiar? Well, the teams have uh, two weeks to apply tags to players. There's three different kinds, uh, exclusive franchise tags, non-exclusive franchise tags, and transition tags. Um, usually we're talking about the first kind, the the, the exclusive franchise tag. I, I think that's which one it is. And uh, that's the one that's most often used. I don't see any reason for the Chiefs to be any different than that this year. The speculation has always been, of course, that uh, Orlando Brown was the guy that was most likely to be tagged this year that would hold him to the team uh, for the coming season at a set rate determined by the highest contracts in the league. And then they could decide what they want to do with him next year. Um, 
I think this uh, this person is bringing up an interesting point, Nate. Thank you for that. Uh, that maybe they're thinking about doing something else with the franchise tag and put a higher priority on signing Brown uh, so they can use the tag on somebody else. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what they have in mind. I think the problem is, as far as the Chiefs are concerned, is that Tyron Matthew will be very expensive on the franchise tag. Um, and I don't know if you want to put that kind of money into a player at Matthew's age at this point. I think if he plays for the Chiefs in 2022, it's because they've uh, made a contract deal with him that gives him a pretty low cap number for this coming season. That's just my opinion. You could be yeah, right. It, there could be something going on. So right now, from ESPN, some local media, everybody's kind of saying that it's going to be Orlando Brown. That's the expectation. Sure. That's been my expectation since he signed. I mean, there were talks right away when he signed, like Orlando Brown in coming here also realizes that his contract might not come until 2023. And I, I think this is a credit to Brett Veach and, and probably something that is pro Veach and maybe anti Big John. And what I'm talking about, not you, John, Big John Dorsey, yeah. who I yeah. really liked. I really, really liked him. But the long-term planning sometimes with the financials, it just was not as polished as it is now with Brett Veach. And I think Veach in, in trading, I think all this was talked about prior to Brown coming. And you could kind of tell from, I, I think, the national reports at the time, they said right away, Ian Rappaport and NFL Network reported immediately once Brown was acquired that this would probably a, a be a, a franchise tag situation. And uh, to answer your question, and, and this is where I, I think it's it's interesting. So the franchise tag for Orlando Brown will cost somewhere between we think 16 and 17 million, probably mm-hmm. around 16.5. Right. Uh, the defensive back and safety is 13.54 million. It, it should be around there. So we, you think, okay, well, the the safety franchise tag might be cheaper, but I I think what you you got to look at then is the um is the annual per year value of a left tackle to a safety of the highest paid in the league. And Orlando Brown is going to want to sign for that. If he's going to sign for a long-term deal, he, he's going to have to be among, I would say the highest mm-hmm. paid in the league. Yeah. The average per year value at the left tackle position. So we're going to Trent Williams, David Bakhtiari, Laramie Tunsil, Colton Miller, 23, 23, 22, 18, the safety position. Now we're talking Jamal Adams, Harrison Smith, Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, 17, 16, 15, 14. So you're talking about long-term deals. Even if you are making Tyron, what is the high end of the market, that'll still ultimately, when you do all the math of, okay, the tag goes up to Brown, and then you maybe work out a deal with Matthew, even if it's among these, I don't expect him to be the highest paid safety in the league. If he is, it's, it's not going to be with the Chiefs, in my opinion. So that is really, I think, the most savings that you get for 2022. Contract for safety versus contract for left tackle is why it's always been an Orlando Brown tag thing. And we discussed this before we got on, John. We don't necessarily expect, I mean, it's possible, but we don't expect him to be mm-hmm. tagged until the end of this window because there is always these negotiations. And, and you know Brett Veach has quite a, a brain trust with the great Chris Shea. And Brantillis, these guys are people, by the way. They seem like the Wizard of Oz, but they're very smart guys. I, I see them <laughs> bouncing around the press press box on Sundays. And maybe there's something that can be figured out, you know, to to this listener's listener's point. But we'd probably expect this to 
coming in the coming days of, of news that Orlando Brown um, is tagged. And I think rare, this isn't, I don't think a posturing move. I, I just think this is ultimately going to be the thing and we'll see what maybe the long-term deal looks like for what would be the 2023 season. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It, it struck me this morning uh, with all the tweets from the national NFL reporters pointing out that this was the beginning of the franchise tag uh, period today. Every one of them in naming the top five candidates to be franchise tagged mentioned Orlando Brown Jr. Um, Worst so kept secret it, in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. So it's not just us it's, that it's feel of course, this way. Chiefs and Bucks in Russia, which yeah. we, we already revealed to you. Or not Russia. I, I have I have I have war on the brain. Germany. Excuse me. I I've read too many Ukraine Russia articles this morning, and I have Russia on the brain. Germany. Uh, that would be that is the worst. Chiefs Bucks and the Ukraine. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> let's not send any Chiefs there. You know how people are always like, let's protect Patrick Mahomes at all costs. He needs to stay as far from Ukraine as possible. A uh, little war joke for you there, I guess. Weird. Okay, so let's get back to what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, it seems like the worst kept uh, secret in in the NFL, um, the fact that Orlando Brown Jr. will indeed be tagged, and, and we expect that in the coming days. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, releasing it on Wednesday, so by the time you listen, I guess there is a small chance that it, it might have happened already. But there we go. And then as an extension, and we've, we've beaten this horse, John, and there's no new news. We'll just have to see with Tyron Matthew. We just, right. it's, a, it's a wait and see. And the only point that you can take away from this is when, and we expect when, Brown to be tagged, that'll solidify that Matthew needs to uh, agree to a long-term uh, extension with the Chiefs or some kind of short-term deal uh, to remain in Kansas City for, uh, what would be the 2022 season. Uh, fascinating to watch. And as I'll reiterate from last episode, it seems like Matthew has kind of quieted down on that front when it comes to the social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how, how that all plays out. All right. Uh, next news story here. Now, former Chiefs defensive backs and cornerbacks coach Sam Madison. Uh, it was announced last week that he would be heading to the Miami Dolphins as a defensive backs coach and a pass game coordinator. It seems like a slight promotion for him, but he, he is familiar with the Miami area. That's where he spent most of his playing days. That's where he had his best playing days. So this seems like a win-win for Sam Madison. I don't know if he necessarily wanted to leave the chiefs, but this opportunity because of his Miami roots was probably too good to pass up. And, I think this is a significant loss for the Chiefs. I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. Sometimes these things are are, are small, and and I I wonder. You still have Andy Reid, so you lose Mike Kafka. You're not really all that worried about it, but just the play of guys like Rashad Fenton, Jarius Snead, Traverius Ward. I mean, we credit Matthew with that, but you also have to credit the coaching staff and mm-hmm. for yeah. Madison uh, to be leaving out. You still have Dave Merritt, who was it seemed like the main defensive backs coach but you're losing this cornerback specialist and uh, it's two-pronged here I, I think the loss for Madison is big and uh, my god what a, a great interview too when we would occasionally right. get him at the podium right. and then I, I think too it, it remains to be seen if the Chiefs replace him because I they do already have a, a corner or I should say a defensive backs coach in, in Sam Madison I tend to think they will but again they don't necessarily have to because they have that room sort of shored up in a way, but man, uh, congratulations to to Madison and big shoes to fill. I think. 
Yeah, I was going to make that same point that uh, he's always very impressive when he speaks to the media. I, I always, when I hear him speak, I always think this guy really knows what he's doing. So uh, I'll be sad to see him go. But, uh, you know, the Chiefs have always been able to find uh, good coaches uh, under Andy Reid, and I don't expect this to be any different. If they feel they need to replace Madison, they'll find somebody and he'll he'll get the job done. I have a lot of confidence in this particular aspect of the Chiefs organization. They've, they've done very well on their assistant coaches uh, since Andy Reid came to town. So um, while Madison is certainly going to be a loss, um, I'm not terribly worried that they uh, will have difficulty finding a replacement for him. Speaking of Kafka and Madison, and I want to also draw attention to Matt House and then Executive Director of Player Personnel Ryan Poles, who has been uh, with the Chiefs, you know, was over was with the Chiefs for over a decade and is now with the Chicago Bears as general manager. We've been waiting for a while for this regime to start losing bodies as mm-hmm. far as front yeah. office and coaching staff members. And, and it feels like it's all happening at once. This is a big chunk of the coaching staff. And, and we've seen replacements. And I, I think a former defensive coordinator and Joe Cullen is going to do a good job. I think Brendan Daly, uh, again, we've talked about that, where he's going to head to the linebackers room and continue to build experience as he tries to become a defensive coordinator in this league. But I think you're finally seeing the Chiefs get plucked in a sense. And that I don't have this on the rundown from a grander standpoint, uh, as it stands with Eric Bieniemy now, I don't know. And, and you nailed this, John, last time. And I kind of pushed back and, and I think I might have been wrong here uh, from what I've kind of heard. Wow. through this. You write is, this down here. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. So try to remember it. Burn it into the brain. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's critical. But it seems like Eric Bieniemy, if we hear nothing, I mean, that means it, it, I think it's just status quo when it comes to him mm-hmm. being offensive yeah. coordinator. My feel on this situation, and and like Matthew, this is another thing we've talked about to to an extensive point. My feel on the situation with Eric Bieniemy is, ideally, right now he'd be with a head coach uh, with a head coach with another team. Ideally, if that was not possible, he'd be an offensive coordinator with another team. And I think both parties really do feel that way. But I think that there's just a situation here where there's nothing left. Everything kind of has been decided and, and given out. And I think maybe the enemy in his own right has come to terms with, I, I, I might need to call plays for another team. But it seems like everyone had their plans. And by the time he was done interviewing mm-hmm. and the Chiefs were done playing, it was all decided. So maybe the next step is for the next season you have the enemy go through this again with the chiefs as far as we know right now again there's been no announcement that as Mm -hmm. of this recording and rather than trying to again go with this head coaching thing and and where there's all this this stuff that's going on where you don't really know what's going on he seeks out maybe like an old coordinator role and goes in that you know with that i think what'll be very interesting to me is who becomes the replacement quarterbacks coach of the Chiefs because I feel like that would be maybe the next uh, offensive coordinator in line to replace the enemy. But as of now, and I, I don't think it's been by design, like that's my feeling in the situation. I think the enemy, you know, he doesn't want to take a year off. That's very dangerous to do in the NFL. Just assume you're going to be back in the mix in that same kind of role the next year. I think he'll, he'll as of now be the, Oh, coordinator for the Chiefs, as awkward as that may be, and and I think uh, another year uh, with the with under Andy Reid is not the worst thing in the world. But 
it's just a, a weird scenario at, at this point where I, I think maybe the Chiefs would like a fresh start, but it, it just doesn't seem feasible. And they don't want to do wrong by their guy, which is which is, I think, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I, well, you I know, know. Where do you, where week, do you land on this? Well, a week ago, we were talking about the fact that the Chiefs had said that, it, well, it, it had leaked. That the that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy were going to have a meeting about his future yes. with the team, or perhaps with another team, and that's kind of a rare piece of information to be coming out of the front office at, at one right. Arrowhead Drive. So we assumed it was true. Um, you, you're just not going to get a lot of leaks like that from the Chiefs, and if if one exists, it's because they want you to know that. And right. that was a warning. Uh, Bieniemy might be on his way out, but here it is a week later, and. Nothing has happened. And I, I think I said last week that every day that goes by that there isn't some kind of an announcement about the enemy is further evidence that he's going to be back and uh, I, in I, the coming season. And I, I think that's where we are right now. Mike Schefter, though, and one of the other points is, and we'd mentioned it before, is it's Pelicero with NFL Network. He floated out that his contract was up, but he also floated out to me a, a clear indication that the enemy was OK with that news hitting the wire, that he was a hot coaching candidate. Very mm-hmm. neutral to eat. Like sometimes you're like, well, this who is this helping out? I think it was the team because you know I I think everyone felt a fresh start would be great, and I also think it was enemy saying, well, I, I'd love to be considered maybe for an offensive coordinator for mm-hmm. another team because there is a somewhat of a stale aspect to it. I don't. I'm gonna be careful here. I don't want to go as far as to say. This is Bob Sutton all over again because Eric Bieniemy has done a bang up job. Mm-hmm. But I think Sutton, again, doing a worse job, was around for a year too long. And I just sense that there's going to be a little bit of a parallel to Bieniemy kind of doing the last year and sort of knowing it in a sense. And uh, if there is any, any, Things that uh, you know need to be discussed between Reed and Mahomes and Bieniemy, you got to hope that they work all those things out ahead of you know what'll have to be a a working relationship. That again, I mean the end the end goal is always going to be the Super Bowl with this team because they're that good and they have Mahomes. And so I mean you got to work all that out beforehand. And I have the confidence that they will. I mean Andy Reid is the best at this, but I just think it it'll be an interesting and and in a way. I don't want to say uncomfortable, but something to to monitor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think they made the same decision last year. We're going to give you a one-year contract. um, Because you should recall that his contract was up after the Super Bowl last year. Right. And uh, and they gave him another one-year contract, thinking that he would not need another contract with the Chiefs uh, for for this coming season. And uh, now it turns out that he does. So it's sort of a continuation of what, in their minds, may have been an awkward situation all along, and they seem to do okay with it. Um, I mean, you know, they got back to the AFC Championship and, you know, minus a couple of plays, might have made it to the Super Bowl again and might have won. Who knows? Um, You know, obviously, with the the team and the coach that the Chiefs have, um, you're going to be in the mix for a championship every year. Yes, when you're in a situation like that, everybody thinks anything less than a Super Bowl victory is a failure. That's fair. Um, But it wasn't a bad season. 
you know, it's not like the team took a big step backwards because they were, you know, they had awkwardness about Eric B being the offensive right. coordinator for another year. So I, I see no real reason to be concerned about that for this year. Although I grant your point, um, you know, from their perspective, it, it might make things a little awkward uh, in the coaching suite. Right. And, and just so everybody knows, and because there's, I don't have to tell the great people of chiefs kingdom, there's been far too much speculation into this. Oh, man. What happens here is it all comes to a head on March 16th. I've been told that's the new league year. So that's when, remember, there's not going to be announcement as you alluded to John. So that's when the new league year begins. And that's when we can go to the chiefs, um, documentation on their website and everything should be updated. And if that time period comes and, and Eric B is still as uh, going through these free agency and, and draft meetings and is in the building and we should see it on chiefs.com and in the media guide. And what I would anticipate is another one year deal. And much like Orlando Brown, they kicked this can uh, to, to mm-hmm. 2023. So right. Weird right. situation. Uh, you, you hope the best for everybody. And, and ultimately, I, I think we all feel the same about it. Like Eric B deserves a shot at this, right? I mean, there were much worse coaches oh, yeah. over the past few years that have gotten opportunities that have been embarrassing. And so hopefully it happens for him in, in 2023. It's reported at least we haven't heard officially from the chiefs yet, but it is reported that Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator uh, since 2018, since Patrick Mahomes took over, um, he is now he is going to return. Uh, you know his his contract actually expired after the 2021 season. Uh, reportedly, he is returning to be the offensive coordinator once again in Kansas City. Um, it's been kind of a weird month in the Bieniemy, uh, you know, storyline with with a few things coming out mm-hmm. and maybe some maybe some doubts that he would be back. But he, but it sounds like he's going to be back, Christian. Um, what are your, what is your kind of thoughts on maybe just that in general, but just maybe how that can affect, uh, or how that doesn't affect, or or however you want to take it, uh, the team going into twenty twenty two. For me, it always makes sense if he wasn't going to be a head coach, and that's obviously his goal, and he's obviously qualified. I mean, the Chiefs have had a top five offense since twenty eighteen. Each year, if not top five, it's you know top six, top seven. Um, last year, they were historically great at scoring points. They had the turnovers, yeah. but points per game, they were insane. So, I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a bad call. But, you know, there were some rumblings, and I think, you know, Chiefs fans themselves kind of wanted a new voice. Yeah. But with Kafka leaving and leaving early, I think it kind of – Pave the way for Eric Bieniemy to come back as the offensive coordinator. That's a good point, honestly, because yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kafka, you know, maybe he doesn't leave so quick if he thinks there's a chance Bieniemy leaves. Because hey, if I have a chance to be the offensive coordinator, um, so that kind of shows you maybe Kafka knew that you know Bieniemy would be staying. You know, another thing too though is is this shouldn't have been that surprising. Um, I know it is catching some people off guard, or some people are taking it that way. You know, was Andy Reid really going to want to le- lose Kafka and Bieniemy in the same offseason? Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that's very loyal to his assistants, to his coaches. You know, almost to a fault sometimes. Which, hey, we don't know. Maybe this is a situation where it is loyalty to a fault. Um, but you know, if that's the thing, if there was a real problem, like some of the problems we heard about, 
he right. wouldn't be back. Right. I mean, and you know, the, the team, the, the organization, you know, they value someone like Patrick Mahomes opinion. Um, a, I would assume a lot more than, than anything else. So no, it's good to see the back. Hopefully next year, uh, you know, finally gets him a coaching job. But, um, I, you know, I did think there was maybe, you know, if there was a new outside hire coming into OC, you know, maybe it does change up the offense. Maybe it does change up what they look at for, uh, you know, in the draft or in free agency. Um, yep. I would not, I would not expect much of a shakeup uh, offensively um, in terms of like how they run, what what plays they run, schematically anything. Uh, yeah. So that with that said, Christian, we're gonna talk draft because this yes. is what it's all about. Yep. And with and with the EB kind of news, uh, you know, now that we understand that, now that that's going on, we got this coaching continuity. We're gonna, you know, we know that's happening, or we it's reportedly happening, but we're gonna assume some other things uh, before we go into this mock draft that you you put together. You know, we're we're mock drafting before combine, before free agency. You know, there's a lot to be determined, and we're kind of, you know, we're this is this is the fun of it though. You kind of test everything out, you kind of experiment a little bit. Christian, when you were preparing for this seven round mock draft, what were some of the team assumptions you made about the team's free agency period or how they retain players? What were some of the assumptions you went into the draft with? Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at who's under contract right now, there is, there's no DBs. You have <laughs> one Thornhill, Legereus Need, Rashad Fenton. That's all that's you have. That's yep. everybody that's under contract who's played meaningful snaps. Armani Watts is leaving. Daniel Sorensen is in the last year of his deal. Uh, Tyron Matthews is gone. Javarius Ward uh, is an unrestricted free agent. You just don't have bodies. So I made the assumption that in free agency, Tyron Matthew is coming back. The main okay. reason for that is because Hitch is already gone. And you can see that the cerebral side of that defense was Anthony Hitchens and was Tyron Matthew. And I don't think you can lose both. Yeah, I don't think Spags, with the way Spags calls his defense, I don't think you can lose both of your brains <laughs> that are on the field. Well, that's, that's one thing I just wanted to mention though. You mentioned that like, that's one reason we all kind of assume maybe Ben Neiman's out the door too. He's an unrestricted free agent. Another you know, one. he, he does have the experience of, of calling the defense of being, you know, the, he was the backup Mike linebacker for a couple of years and obviously in the dime defense. So Maybe we do see Neiman back, even though it's a guy that uh, that a lot of us have kind of assumed and and maybe hoped a little bit uh, wouldn't be on the team next year. You know, he did have he, in his role. You know, and you know he, he he played better last year than maybe he has in the past. It's still just not good enough, in my opinion. But I think that's a good point. And you know, do you have any assumptions on Frank Clark? It's not someone you wrote down, but is he on this team next year? What do you think about that? Man, that is such a. I didn't really make an assumption on Frank Clark. I really just, I just don't know. Right. Um, that's I the mean, hard part. It's, you know, some of his off-field interviews that he's done, he's been very, and rightfully so, proud of the fact of the contract that he earned. Uh, he was a, he was, I think he was the highest played non-quarterback, highest paid non-quarterback last year. And did not produce as the highest paid non-quarterback last year. Yeah, and not to, even close. And to ask him to take a pay cut, that's a tough that's a tough conversation and I, I don't know if that's a conversation that he wants to even entertain um, or how much he loves Kansas City so I kind of just steered away from it my draft strategy went to just kind of building around Chris Jones yeah 
And I think that's fair. And I, and I think that's Chris Jones, the one guy I think you feel good about saying he will be here in 2022 out of all the kind of the veteran uh, big names on the defense. Uh, one guy you also looked like you assumed was back was Orlando Brown Jr. That's good. I think a lot of people, I, I think it's a fair assumption at, at this point. I think we all assume the Chiefs are going to get yeah. that done. Uh, what about some of the guys that are leaving, though? Some of the guys you assumed would not be back unrestricted free agency-wise. With signing Badger, I think you can only keep one of Tyron Matthew and Charvarius Ward. So we let Ward, who was an unrestricted or was undrafted, and we've had exclusive rights to him for the last couple of years, I think that the Chiefs let him go and make his payday. Uh, yeah. He's earned it. I mean, he's a number two, number three. I, I don't think he's a number one. Yeah. Um, but he's a very solid number two boundary corner. Um, he's going to make his money. And I think that the chiefs have decided that they value that, you know, the defense in the middle of the field versus the boundary. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Right. I think cornerback has always been a position in Kansas city for better, or for worse. We haven't seen a lot of investment. In it, and I think it's exactly what you just said. They, they really take advantage or they really, you know, care about the middle of the defense more than maybe the perimeters of the defense. And so speaking of that, you set it up perfectly. I said they don't put a lot of investment in corner, but it's time, man. Let's get into the seven round right, mock draft question. Let's get into it, right? Yeah. You put this. You put this together. Um, I think you you compute the computer picked every pick besides the Chiefs. Am I correct on that? Correct. Yes. So you just picked the Chiefs picks, and I say they don't invest in cornerback a lot. Well, you go right against that theory um, <laughs> with pick thirty with the first round pick. You went ahead and took Roger McCreary, the cornerback from Auburn, uh, SEC cornerback, obviously. I, I've looked at him a little bit. I've seen some good stuff. Christian, what were you a fan of, or how excited were you when you took this pick at 30? I was really excited. Like I said, there are no DBs. <laughs> there is there is, You have to fill the room. The Chiefs roll with you know eight or nine um, defensive backs throughout the season, and you just have to have bodies there. Um, with McCreary, I know Brian Stewart um, has, loves him. He absolutely <laughs> yes. loves him. Um, so that, you know, he's sitting there on the board. I'm looking at it like, okay, I can I can plug Brian here a little bit. <laughs> uh, but the, McCreary himself, shorter guy, uh, 5'11", not the longest. Um, actually, I think his arms are under 30 inches. Yeah. Um, but he has got – his hips are extremely fluid. He's quick to flip his hips, to run with receivers. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the long speed for um, the, the go routes and all that, um, but he he can run with guys. He can carry them to the safeties and stuff like that. Um, watching him run reminds me a lot of, and this is going to sound crazy, this reminds me of how quick Tyreek Hill's feet are because oh, of just how wow. quick and choppy they are. It's it's not a long strider. He is it's 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 how quick his feet go back and you know it's just it's really really fast. Now it doesn't have Tyreek Hill speed like I said earlier, but right. just how quick he's chopping his feet um, and kind of getting through uh, when he you know finally breaks. Um, I thought he did a really nice job and he can he can hang with receivers. Yeah, um, you, yeah. No, I, I I agree with what you're saying on McCreary. Um, you know. The, the short arms are pretty noticeable, um, but yeah. he makes That's up for it. I mean, there's some big receivers, you know. Right. When you're going up against Mike Evans, who's a monster. Yeah. He's going to power over him. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, it, I, I feel like NFL really values length at corner because you can be kind of maybe shorter. You can be five eleven, six foot, but if you have the arm length, you know, it makes up for it, right? Because it's all about reaching up for the ball. It's all about you know being able to reach around a guy and tip the ball away, right? Um, if you don't have those long arms, it's it's a game of inches, and that's why it matters. But no, I, I do think the McCreary point that I like about this pick is that he is comfortable in press. He is a comfortable guy, you know, working in the flat, you know. You know, being physical against receivers, trying to block him, um, being able to come up, make tackles. I do think he can do all that, and that's what Spags obviously values in cornerbacks. So, I like the pick. I like the pick. The one I, thing, yeah. The one thing I want to say about him, real quick, if you watch him against Alabama, which Alabama yes. had crazy receivers. I mean, between Jamison Williams. Um, yeah, and and real quick, I will say there's actually a great YouTube cut up of of him of every I think it's like every target uh, that Jamison Williams, John Mechie, and whoever yeah, else sure. got against him on YouTube. If if anyone wants to go check that out, but they targeted him frequently in that game, and he he didn't back down. The dude is a competitor. I mean, he's that was the thing that jumped out. The he's like, okay, he knows he's got those short arms, but that does not stop him from just being an absolute bulldog. Um, and that's kind of the defense that I want to build is just a bunch of fierce competitors that are just going to attack. Think about, uh, not a, think about, yeah. Think about the other corners and the other, I mean, even the other safety on this team, I, I know, you know, Juan maybe not as attacking, you know, just, just how he plays. I do think he's gotten a little better at getting downhill and making tackles though. Uh, yeah, he was that yeah, exactly. But, my the main point though, I mean, look at Fenton and Snead. I mean, those are two guys that definitely bring the attitude, definitely bring the physicality, you know, or have that swagger uh, with it to kind of complement it too. McCreary definitely seems like he fits in that in that room. So I I really like that little trifecta of corners all of a sudden when you get McCreary in there. But you know, there there's a few options you could have went here, right, Christian? It's you know, we, mm -hmm. there's there's tons of options. Is there any player I, for, before I ask about guys that went after him? Were there any players you look at your draft board that you were really hoping did fall to you at 30, uh, just didn't make it quite there? Was there anyone that stood out to you in that sense? I'm a Chris Olave guy. Um, oh, Chris, we got a Chris Olave guy here. Okay, okay. I like Chris Olave. I think he, I think his speed is real. Um, yeah, I think his separation is, I think he's gonna combine to be really smooth. Um, and I, I just him and with Andy Reid and the, his ability to scheme players open. I just I think he's just a fun player to have. 